On this week's show, we are packed with reviews for Empire of Light, Emancipation, and Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, which is hitting Netflix, and Guillermo del Toro himself joins the show, so don't miss this one. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, Blenders, and welcome, welcome to episode 240 of Real Blend, a podcast that has seen two-fifths of the Avatar franchise. Uh. Or two fifths or two sevenths. Well, it depends we, on who we, you we ask. We don't even know the fraction anymore. Depends who you ask. You've seen uh, just a small amount. Yes. Of what Pandora <laughs> has to offer. Uh, on this week's show, we are reviewing uh, Empire of Light, Emancipation, and Netflix's Pinocchio uh, because director Guillermo del Toro is joining the show. Which you what know a great that name to add to I mean, the list. What, what a massive. Guillermo del Toro. The, the, cr- the craziness between. Del Toro and Cameron over the last few days and their connection together and now our connection with both of them. Yes. Kevin, doesn't it just kind of like as a man who has a Terminator arm over your shoulder that James Cameron was just playing with next to if people can't <laughs> see your video next to yeah. Del Toro's first film on VHS. How's your mind not blown right now? And that's going to be very interesting when you hear the interview. I, I want to mention this because. And I know Gabe's going to introduce us. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll wait to I'll wait to set it up. Well, uh, we let me, to for, for yeah. people wondering who, who the hell's voice is this. I am not <laughs> Sean O'Connell. Uh, I am Gabe Kobach, usually just producing this show. But I am filling in for Sean, who is still in London. Uh, but joining me this week. He's waiting for Avatar 3. He's Fox just, just going to stay there. From Fox 32 in Chicago, Jake Hamilton. Yeah, you thank so? you. Yeah, we can't we can't really give our uh, our reviews no. because of Avatar: The Way of Embargoes. But if you do want to know yeah. our reactions, there is uh, <laughs> there was a lift on social media reaction. So if you genuinely want to know what we thought of the film, I'm pretty sure by the time this is published, you can go to our social media and our thoughts will will be up. We just can't verbalize them in any like other it. medium. Is that right, Kevin? That that is correct. Yeah, it's like one of those. Like one of the weird things about embargoes nowadays is that they, you know, for people who are aware, and I'm Kevin McCarthy from Fox Five. There we go. Um, yeah, uh, but uh, but basically, the, it's like Babylon. Thirty minutes yeah. into, the, into the movie, yeah, like, we get who? the title card. Um, but in terms of embargoes, like in in this day and age, there's there's layers to them. So like, mm-hmm. there's a social media embargo, which is what you're seeing, which is 
basically a review, but it's not. And then the this review the, embargo uh, doesn't lift until the 13th. So I'll have you guys hold up your seeing, tweets. I'll have you guys hold up your tweets yeah, next right? to your Just, face on video. You're like, here's my here are my thoughts. I have. I've been on the air on the air before saying I think it was like for Black Panther where I was like, I can't tell you on air what I thought of it. But if you go to my Instagram and my Twitter, you could see what I, I mean, mm-hmm. they're just kind of poking people toward that. True, true, true. Well, I will quickly get us through the housekeeping so that we don't keep these folks any longer uh, waiting for Guillermo del Toro. It's a fantastic oh, so interview. Such a good interview. But in the meantime, if you're joining us on YouTube, uh, like and subscribe. It helps us grow the show and it. um it means we like you better. We like the people yeah. that like the video. It's and true. We know. It's yeah, true. Completely. If you're listening to us elsewhere, you can find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash Real Blend Podcast. Uh, but we are, of course, available wherever you get podcasts. If you want to get the show ad free, you want to get a biweekly newsletter and you want to get a bonus episode that we drop every Monday morning. You can sign up for Real Blend Premium. Uh, check the description below wherever you're at. We'll have more info about how to sign up. Or that. But in the meantime, gentlemen, how amazing is this interview that we have with leg- a legendary yeah. director? We're just kind of just, just casually throwing in another legendary right. director yeah. this week. So this Guillermo is a big deal because, like, well, I mean, obviously, for people who know our show, we started off as an award show. But, like, guests were something that, you know, we didn't really anticipate. And then over the years, obviously, we've been lucky enough to have some of the biggest names in, in the business. But this particular interview is really special because of, Jake was talking about the, the connection between... James Cameron and Guillermo del Toro. And, and, and there's a, a really interesting story that del Toro t- tells in the interview. I'm not going to give anything away. And then you just start thinking about coincidences and how things are meant to be. And then obviously Jake had mentioned, we just got back from London for avatar and James Cameron held my Terminator to him, which we'll tell the stories his about face with it. His DNA yeah, we'll tell, is on those fingertips. You could glow we'll your own James Cameron. And, and we'll, t- and we'll tell those stories, we'll, but let's we'll, get, we'll get we'll to the talk about that yeah. later. But today we have Guillermo del Toro, uh, we, of course, discussed Pinocchio. He has some incredible insight to sort of how they made that film. Um, he even discusses um, meeting James Cameron. He has, That is a great story. He, and, but he talks about their friendship and, and some of the um, interactions they've had throughout the years, which is pretty incredible. And he also um, chats about Pacific Rim, which is a, a yes. special movie, a movie that we all love. So buckle up, because uh, this is a great one, an all-timer, I think, for sure for us. And... Uh, we say this often with guests, but Guillermo del Toro just fit right in. And so yep. I think everyone's going to enjoy this. Without further ado, Guillermo del Toro on the Real Blend Podcast. First, I want to I highlight the brilliance of stop motion. Um, ever since I was a kid, I've always been fascinated by what, you know, Henry Selleck did, obviously, with The Nightmare Before Christmas. And so many other films have used this technology. Um, but I want you to walk the audience through a bit, maybe like a couple seconds of the film, maybe how you carve the wood or how the nose grows and kind of how much work goes into a two to three second shot, which is an individually 24 pictures or frames uh, for the, for the film itself. But you talk about the work that goes into a shot, maybe of just the nose growing or just some carving of the wood and kind of how that operates. People don't realize how much work goes into that. Well, I'll give you an example. For example, uh, we we do animate 24 frames a second. Uh, when you are moving the camera at the same time, uh, you are going to have to coordinate the um, you have to coordinate the camera move with the movement of the puppet. So the camera has to be on a motion control rig that moves a frame a second. Also, so it's uh, it's extremely uh, complicated. I'll give you an example when Geppetto enters the empty. Uh, 
the empty uh, space where the carnival was. He does an improv, quote unquote, that looks casual, but he, he bumps into a balloon and he pushes the balloon away and gets tangled and kicks it. That, if it was live action, is just that, you know? Yeah. Pushing a balloon, you're doing a little improv. But when you're doing this, you have to have the balloon on a miniature crane uh, to pretend that it's floating, and then you have Geppetto on another crane, and you have what is called a, an exposure sheet in which you are marking frame by frame what you want to animate. There's no accidents in stop motion. If right. the wind, if the wind moves the hair, if the coat flaps with movement, that coat needs to be wired inside so that the coat can be animated. If the trailing uh, string of the balloon moves, that string needs to really be a wire. It's really, there's nothing, nothing at all like uh, stop motion. We do the same thing that are done uh, in live action. We, uh, we, we are doing real cinematography. We are doing real um, uh, light, real props, real sets, everything, but in miniature. So I, I say this is like Ginger Rogers said to Fred Astaire. We do the same than live action, but backwards in high heels. Yeah, high heels. <laughs> <laughs> what, about, what about rain? How about how do you get rain to fall on somebody and fall off? When the rain is falling between the puppet and the lens, that's digital. Or you can do a plate. You know, that's not touching the button. But when it touches the model, we have to have miniature resin uh, drops moving alongside the model and miniature uh, acrylic drips when they fall off the edges. So you're animating the rain on the window, you're animating the rain on the puppet. When when Pinocchio dismounts from the table and has a popcorn bag, each of the popcorn uh, kernels that flies in the air has to have one wire attached to it. <laughs> We animated to be animated 24 frames a second. Oh uh, when God. they're carving the wood, we have to do tests to miniaturize the wood uh, for it to look really like they're carving a giant piece of wood. We have to find the balsa wood or the, the wood that looks min in miniature, like everything looks in large scale. The clothing, uh, we have to miniaturize the, the, the weaving, the fabric, the aging, everything. It's... Uh, it's an incredible, I mean, if you imagine, we shot this movie, or we've been trying to produce it for a, uh, about more than 15 years or around 15 years. We've been in production for about five years. We shot for a thousand days. And at the same time, we were shooting with 65 units, meaning oh, there were five units with a camera and a light and an emitter, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. Unbelievable. Wow. Mr. Del Toro, I, I got to say, so I'm listening to, to you describe this process, and it just makes me think that this filmmaking, what you guys did on this, requires a degree of patience that I do not possess. Like, I just don't think I could do this. Is there any aspect of live action filmmaking that is even remotely comparable to the degree of patience required for this, that takes as long, that takes as much detail precision as stop motion animation? Is there any comparison at all? Well, the comparison really, I mean, both things are incredible disciplines. The difference is in live action, you are trying to create an accident uh, that, that simulates reality and you capture it. Mm -hmm. So if, if there is a car crash, 
you need to rehearse that car crash. Over To give you an example, on Nightmare Alley, a guy gets run over and dragged by the car that runs him over. We had the car reproduced in foam, the full car, full size in foam painted uh, for it to actually hit the guy and drag him for real. But it's like a giant mattress dragging him. And we oh mounted rails. We mounted it on rails along the tracks, and the camera traveled with it. In stop motion, in theory, is easier because you can have the car actually impact the puppet. So there are two different. In stop motion, you create everything. In live action, you recreate and capture. Mm -hmm. oh. Uh, Mr. Del Toro, in previous versions of the story, the puppet to, has, to me has always looked more like a boy than than actual wood. He wears clothes. He might have hair. Um, your decision, I, you know, I thought was to make Pinocchio look far more wooden, which affected, of course, just his movements and everything. And I thought that was such an incredible choice. Can you discuss just some of the conversations you guys had when you were trying to figure out what your Pinocchio was going to look like? Well, that was the key. Every Pinocchio, every Pinocchio ever made, and I hear there are over 60 versions of this on film, you know, uh, and, and they are from Italy, from uh, Germany, from France, from Italy, everywhere. Yeah. Uh, it, it lives or dies on the puppet. Mm. If the puppet looks like the reverse of Uncanny Valley, if it right. looks weird in the world, it needs to look uh, like an anomaly, but belong to the same world. So when in 2002 or 2003, I stumbled upon a book written and illustrated by Grace Grimley based on the Collodi novel, uh, I saw his design and it was very much this design. So I contacted Grace and uh, we said this, I asked him, why does he look like that? And he said, I think Beto was drunk. That's <laughs> so great. And that gave me a, a whole new perspective into the, the puppet. And we started from there, you know? So the design is also much more interesting because the way he lands in the real world, in, in almost every story, he lands and he's welcome. Oh, look, there goes Pinocchio to school. Oh, yeah. Hi, Pinocchio. How are you? Everything is magical. There are talking foxes, talking cats. Yeah. It's a very magical world. Here, he is the anomaly. Everybody right. sees him and freaks out, for good or for bad, but they freak out, which is what would happen in real life if a living <laughs> puppet walked into your office, you know? Yeah, came into church. Yeah. 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 And I also, I also wanted to link him with uh with the the wooden cross that Geppetto carves for the church i wanted to link him with uh, the idea of him sort of sacrificing himself for others uh and 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 the simplicity of his face which is almost like a miniature smiley face mm -hmm. you know it's very simple but extremely difficult when you're designing like that if the eyes are too close, he looks silly. If they're too far apart, he looks distracted. If they're too close to the mouth, he looks lantern-jawed. So is, is these are elements that you need to move very, very carefully. Absolutely. You know, 
Mr. Del Toro, one of the things I've taught you about over the years with your films, especially on Nightmare Alley, was the choice to shoot 185. And to yeah. me, that's a it's a beautiful ratio, especially when you're at home, too. If you're, you're streaming the film, it'll it'll fill more of your screen at home as well. But yeah. I recently sat down with Steven Spielberg for The Fablemans, and I asked him this exact question. Looking over his filmography, you know, you look at films like The Fablemans and, you know, E.T. And, you know, there are films that are shot 185, and then he has certain films that are 235, that widescreen. Yeah. And he talked yeah. about the idea that 185 is the truth. Um, in storytelling. And I wanted to ask you your thoughts on that, but also your choice and kind of why you would see a difference if Nightmare Alley or Pinocchio were shot widescreen versus or 235 versus this 185 and what it gives you as a storyteller. Well, there are, I mean, I have not shot a movie that that deserves or demands widescreen to, to be a logical show. If I shot The Mountains of Madness, which happens in the Antarctic, that I would shoot widescreen mm. because then I'm servicing a landscape, I'm servicing vistas. Mm. But other than that, there is the the what is called the golden ratio, which is the the golden ratio that the Greeks, uh, uh, you know, alleged this is the the perfect measure of aesthetics, the world, nature. You know, it approximates 185. It's very it's very much uh, a canvas. Mm. That uh, that comes naturally to me. Uh, if you think about it, widescreen was really invented more by producers than directors. When TV when TV came and started sucking audience uh, out of the theaters, the producer said, "Let's give them more more image mm. than they can get at home," and they sort of uh, re purpose processes that were being developed in Europe and in America to create several systems of widescreen. Like CinemaScope, right? Yeah, CinemaScope. Each of the studios had their proprietary widescreen. But in, in my opinion, 185, in the same way that uh, if you talk to a cinematographer, they'll tell you 35 millimeters is the human eye. A 35 millimeter lens is a human eye. When you go wider, you're you're being stylish. When you go longer, you're being stylish for a different reason. Mm -hmm. You know, I think 185 is a perfect window into the world. You know, and 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 I tend to think it makes uh, it makes my 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 sense of composition is very hard for me to change it at this point. I mean, I've been 30 years with this, and I've always chose 185. I love it. I'm glad you do. It looks phenomenal. Um, I have to tell you, one of my favorite aspects anytime I watch an animated film is trying to figure out who the voices are. I, I purposefully don't look it up um, so that when the movie is over, I could actually go back and look up to see who the cast is and see if I'm right in my predictions. I did not expect Kate Blanchett to be <laughs> the monkey Spazzatura. Can you just explain to me, first of all, how that phone call went, but then the recording <laughs> sessions. Can you, can you explain that to me? <laughs> Yeah, it actually happened. We were shooting Nightmare Alley. We were shooting in her office. <laughs> and uh, we were shooting. We It was the last or next to last day of shoot. And, and we were having a blast. It's very easy to have a blast with Kate. She's yeah. very, very, very funny, which people uh, don't normally think. And she said, uh, oh, we got to work immediately. Do we have anything on Pinocchio? And I said, well, all the parts are given. I said, but there is this monkey that <laughs> that maybe, and, and she said, a monkey? She said, I'm in. 
and, and <laughs> we sent her the, the design of the monkey, Spazzatura, and she said, uh, I think he's my spirit animal. <laughs> and then the recording sessions, normally when you do a character that is like this, you do what is called a sampler, meaning you get the actor and do you say, do four minutes of angry noises. And now do four minutes of scared noises. Now do four minutes. That's normally, and you have a sampler and you edit it. But Kate asked us to do it shot by shot. And she would say, so what is the monkey saying? And, and she would act. And she also voices the puppets that the monkey controls. So <laughs> oh, when, okay. when, the, when the devil puppet or the uh, Colombina or Puccinello are talking, those that's a gate also. Yeah. Did you guys record the recording? So I would love to see video of the recording session. Of that. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. Some of the recording sessions, we would do half of it for the monkey and half of it for Tar. <laughs> <laughs> really? Wait, wait a second. Yeah. She was going back and forth for yeah, like yeah. 80, with yeah. ADR? On she, was, she would do ADR for the monkey and then, uh, you know, <laughs> she would go on and do some, uh, some recordings for Tar. Come on. I, would, oh. I want to see stop motion uh, Lydia Tar. That's yes. what I would like to see. <laughs> no, it, was, it was really it was really interesting. And, and but the thing with with Kate is um she she understood something really right away how important the character is in the movie. Mm. You know, mm. it, it is you know we 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 laugh about the fact that she gets no lines, but she actually it was, what was great about seeing it play with an audience is how much the audience loves this character mm -hmm. and how much they understand the emotions. And I, I say this, it's going to sound like a piece of PR, the most misguided PR in the history of film, but it's great that she she did it because she, she made everything much better and much more dramatically great for the character. Yeah, that's absolutely. awesome. Um, but sort of building on that, though, the movie hinges completely on Gregory Mann and his performance. And if yeah. if you don't get what you need out of him, you know, the movie essentially has the potential of falling apart. So I'm curious what you guys saw in him uh, to cast him and what what's an aspect of his performance that you think he worked the hardest on? Well, Mark uh, Gustafson and I uh, would listen to all the tapes, all the tests. And uh, I mean, I've done many movies with uh, uh, about childhood with kid actors. And the ratio, whether it's Pan's Labyrinth, Devil's Backbone, uh, it doesn't matter. It's always the same ratio. A hundred terrible ones for one great one. Really? So, wow. You know, it, it is, you, you test hundreds of kids and, and there is only one that is perfect. And, and what happened with Gregory is he, there is not a single moment in that movie where he's acting or you feel that he's acting, you know? Mm -hmm. He, the first thing for him is reality. And he was very aware that we liked his energy. Uh, the, the first thing you do right with an actor is cast the actor right. When when somebody says, "Oh, are you, are you a good a direct a good director of actors?" I say, "I'm a director of good actors," which yeah. is very different. I mean, I don't think you can direct the wrong actor into the right performance. It's very very unlikely. So Gregory is a, a really professional kid, but you try to create. For example, when I wanted him to be petulant, mm -hmm. um, Mark and I devised an idea. 
he would push me on the belly and call me dummy. He would say, oh, shut really? up, shut up, dummy. And I said, come on, call me dummy. He says, what do you want, dummy? And then he was ready to say, I want chocolate, please, 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 please. You know, he was ready to be petrol. And, then, and the great thing is Mark and I, in the session, we were looking for different energies. So I would say, we got it. And Mark would say, can we have one more this other way? And it was great. I, I really enjoyed uh, that, that we were watching for uh, Gregory to give us uh, all the options that we needed. And he, I think it's remarkable. I think he, the innocence yes. and the purity of uh, the boys, uh, I mean, everybody sort of landed where I thought David Bradley, I, I wrote it for him. You know, I was very, very sure of Christoph Waltz where he was going to land. The two that surprised us, I think both Mark and I, was Gregory and uh, Ewan McGregor. Mm. Oh, yeah, McGregor's terrific. Yeah. Ewan McGregor was not originally uh, who I was thinking for the part. I was thinking of a more uh, sort of uh, pompous voice and more professorial because the character is like that. And and then this was, uh, this was suggested... Uh, by uh, Melissa Cobb at Netflix, and and we said, well, you know, I like Ewan. He has such an earnest energy, and he came in and he nailed it first session. Wow! When his song uh, gets interrupted by Pinocchio's door, it's the biggest yeah. laugh. <laughs> well, the idea the idea was we were creating a, a, half of the movie is a musical, and then when the fascist elements come in, you only hear uh, marches and popular songs from the fascist era. You know, you hear things on the radio or playing from loudspeakers and people stop singing. But the first part is like a Broadway musical. And we thought it would be great to come to the big song uh, and basically crush the cricket every time. <laughs> because he, he, if you notice in the movie, people learn from Pinocchio. Pinocchio learns very little from the cricket. He actually, he, he actually uh, teaches the, the cricket to be more humble and more fallible and vulnerable. And he teaches Geppetto to not be obsessed with perfection or being liked, but just loving. It's, it's a really interesting twist. I'm going to switch gears because you tweeted something the other day that got me beyond excited. So when I, when I was eight years old, James Cameron's Terminator 2 changed my life. I had never yeah. seen anything like that. And I know that you have an incredible history with Mr. Cameron. And I saw that you saw this new Avatar film and you tweeted out an incredible review. I was just wanted to geek out with you for a second about how that went down. Where where did you see it? Did you like what was the experience like? Did you see it in 3D? I think I think Jim has snipers and uh, <laughs> I, I I already broke I I I shouldn't have and I tweeted and oh, no. I already uh, but I will say this what I said I stand a hundred and ten percent for what I said it is remarkable I mean it's just bam the the scope and the and the level of uh, filmmaking and and the vistas the immersiveness you you will be you will be transported again and you guys were you guys, you guys have a really amazing history i mean oh, I think yeah, we've, been, people, people... we've been friends since 1992 wow oh, wow 1992 so that's what 30 years yeah 
Yeah. Coming on it. Yeah. 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 And and the first time I met him was at a at a barbecue uh at Ron Perlman's house. I had just finished Kronos and uh he had just finished T2. And uh God. he said to me, I hear that you you did the uh, a movie and that you mortgage your house and that you risk it all. I say, yeah. He says, you know, that doesn't mean it's going to work. <laughs> and, and, I, and I said, I know that. And he said, well, when can, when can I see it? And uh, I said, well, when I feel it's ready to show. And he he saw it and all by incredible, beautiful, good luck, uh, he loved it. Because he, he came in and he said, I may get a phone call in the middle of the projection. I, I may need to leave. And he never left. And then he came out and he said, that was bullshit. <laughs> I, oh, really? <laughs> I, I have my phone on dial. And if, and if I dialed, my secretary wouldn't call me back because the movie was terrible. <laughs> but, but I didn't do it because the movie is great. I loved it. <laughs> but, but said, Let, let's go have lunch. And we had lunch, and we actually had like a two-hour, three-hour lunch. And I think I think I have uh, maybe five uh, best friends that are directors, and uh, you know two of them very well. And Jim is a, a third one. You know, uh, we are we've been very very close. He comes to my editing room. I go to his editing room. We, you know, when my father was kidnapped, and there's a. There's some information that is not correct that he paid the ransom. He didn't. We did, but he paid for the negotiator. He oh, okay. paid for the negotiator, and we paid him back uh, a, a little a while after because it was a really, really harrowing situation. And he came in and he took charge. He said the the hostage negotiator will be in your house in 72 hours uh, to help you go through the process. He did it on on his own. We didn't ask, he volunteered, and he did offer. He did offer. He said, I'll pay for the ransom. He did offer it. And wow. he, I mean, he's that kind of guy and wow. is incredibly loyal, incredibly strong. And, um, and you know, uh, we, 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 we have, uh, when I, in the beginning of my career, I, I, I used to stay at his house uh, for months. I would stay at his house for months and we would watch anime every night. <laughs> what? He, would, he, would show, he would show me Pat Labor and and uh, Pat Labor was a big influence for me on Pacific Rim. I would watch Pat Labor and I showed him Battle Angel. Wow. Oh, right. Yeah, wow. sure. Of course. That's right. Oh, Battle Angel. Alita. Yeah, Alita. I, this would make a great movie and we watched it together. Oh, oh my god. I'll tell you right now, one of the greatest moments in cinema history for me is that boat slap in Pacific Rim when he slaps him with that boat. As I freaking love that scene so much, man. You know, that one that one came. We were scouting, we were scouting in Hong Kong, and I insisted that we scouted by air on a helicopter, we scouted by foot, by car, and by boat. And when when we were scouting by boat, this giant boat full of uh, containers goes by, and I thought, oh, wouldn't it be great <laughs> if this guy dragged this boat and yeah. smacked the monster, you know? 
the and most it was. Yeah, yeah, and it was. You were right. It really was. Right. No, uh, Pacific Rim, uh, even although it made $415 million at the box office and then a lot more in ancillaries and all that, the disappointment for me is that it came during the most acrimonious divorce between Warner Brothers and Legendary. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it was it was so it was like Kramer versus Kramer and Pacific Rim was the child. Was the child. Yeah. <laughs> um Del Toro, I, I and Jake, I'm sorry, I just had to tell you it's my old from my oldest son, Pacific Rim is his Star Wars. Oh, it's like that's Thank you. Listen, that is the movie that he wears out. He just I watch wears it all it the out. time. Yeah. We we had a I, I tell you, of all my movies throughout the, the my experience, uh three or four have been tested and gotten a reaction from the audience that is close to perfect or perfect. Pacific Rim was one. Wow. It was really, really an amazing experience. Great. Of course, great numbers, but I don't pay attention to the numbers. I pay attention to the people on the, on the theater when we we screen it, Uh, you sit in the back and this is a secret that Jeffrey Katzenberg taught me. Jeffrey said, sit in the back, and watch the heads and if they start moving you know is this what uh, take a note of what moment they're moving because <laughs> not connecting and, and oh pacific interesting rim, and pacific rim was played perfect played perfect and i think visually and and in terms of uh, trying uh, uh, you know new things new tools for me it was really i i, I combining Two of it's like a tres leches cake. It had monsters and robots <laughs> yeah. looking it out in the middle of a city. I mean, oh, oh I did I did that junket in. I don't know if you guys were there in San Francisco, San Francisco. where we went to ILM and yeah. they was wonder they was that was a like great. Oh my god, that was fantastic. That was the um, first time I saw a filmmaker capture scale. Yeah, on that. yeah. Go ahead, Jay. Go, <laughs> that, ahead. go ahead. That's the difficulty. The difficulty we we had we had very very serious talks with ILM John Knoll. Uh, said we 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 must figure the physics, and and then we said also we we should cheat. If you watch the first King Kong, uh, King Kong changes the scales all the time. Oh, Sometimes he can he can derail a train, and and you know that Fay Ray would be tiny, or sometimes Fay Ray is this big. And and I said we we vary the scale by seventy five uh, feet of the robots they were either bigger or smaller but the physics we never cheated hmm. physics we always did uh, and we had a very very complicated program for what i called uh, rain accumulation because i i did what i called gothic which is gothic and tech combined and and i wanted rain all the time and like the thunder and lightning and uh, when rain accumulates on the edges it needs to drip and a robot right. has dozens, if not hundreds, of edges. So we did a program to see all that water displacement, etc. My one of my favorite shots is when Otachi opens his wings, and and the and the smoke swirls under them. You know, it's oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We could I'm do a sorry. whole show just on yeah, no, yeah. please. Sorry. Well, you know, I, I know you I know you couldn't talk about Avatar, but going from one topic you can't talk about to potentially potentially another topic maybe you can't talk about. Um I, I will always wonder the thing that keeps me up at night is what your Hobbit films would have looked like. There are moments where um I just think what certain characters or sequences or moments or action beats would have looked like under your imagination and your supervision. 
are there any when you signed on what was the the character or the moment or the action sequence or the battle that you were most excited to give your vision to you know i think i think that what i loved was that it had the book was for many many years i read only two tolkien books the hobbit and his book on on fairy tales you know his book on on uh, the writing of fairy tales and the power of myth and all that and uh and it it what it what struck me of the hobbit was there was a center a certain gentleness and fairy tale simplicity uh combined with the uh, real tribulations and trials and mm-hmm. i like that i think is uh it's hard for me i haven't seen the movies i read the screenplays and I, I haven't seen the movies because when you when you visualized as much as we did uh, mm-hmm. or as long as we did, you know, is is like seeing footage of your ex-wife on vacation in Cancun. It's, <laughs> if it's good, it's bad, and if it's bad, it's worse. <laughs> no possibility of me uh, getting a good jolt. I, I think it's great that they got made. I I didn't see them, but I don't know the differences because uh, I didn't see the final finished product. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Del Toro, before we wrap up, uh, I have one last question. Um, we are in this fantastic run of filmmakers uh, who are making uh, deeply personal autobiographical stories. Obviously, you mentioned uh, your two very close friends, Alejandro and Alfonso, who made uh, Roma and the Bardo, which is just incredible. Um, got to see that recently and Mr. Spielberg with the Fablemans. I'm curious if there's a film of yours uh, that is already autobiographical or if you could ever see yourself sort of going down that avenue. Yeah, Pinocchio. Pinocchio? Pinocchio, Pinocchio is one. I mean, all my movies for me are not a filmography or a biography. I am Hellboy. I am Hellboy. My, my Hellboy, not Mike's. Mike Mignola's Hellboy is his father. My Hellboy is me. Uh, oh, interesting. You know, the, even although I'm not an, uh, an orphan girl in the Spanish Civil War, I am the girl in Pan's Labyrinth. Uh, right. I am the, the boys in, in Devil's Backbone. And, and Pinocchio... That's why Pinocchio fits, for me, is a trilogy. Devil's Backbone, Pinocchio, and Pan's Labyrinth form a little trilogy about uh, childhood and war, you know? Mm. And, and, and Pinocchio is the things I learned through all my life. Uh, for me, the final line in the movie, uh, I wrote as a distillation of everything I've under- come to understand to be true about life, how important and unimportant we are. Spoilers ahead, but I'll give I'll I'll say the final line. But it is what happens happens, and then we're gone. It's it's very simple. It's very it's very uh, accepting of the fact that we're here very briefly, and we matter not much, but we matter in the chain of kindness that we can create for others. And as a father. I saw my failures as my kids became older. And as a son, I saw my father's failures in a more human way. So I wanted to write a movie and co-write and co-direct a movie that talked from that perspective. Uh, If you notice, the movie uh, is more the adventures of Geppetto in a way. Yeah, Yeah, It really follows him. And the learning curve, again, spoilers ahead, please tune out. But it starts, it starts with a father that cannot accept 
the death of a child and it ends with a child that accepts the death of a father mm-hmm. you know Interesting. It, is, it is for me full circle completely biographical in that sense that's fantastic thank you so much for sharing all that mr del toro and and of course thank you for joining us uh we wish we had more time but we know you have such a busy day so thank you for joining us on the real blend podcast all right thank you guys uh, no pacific, rim. What pacific rim again oh, yes we will we're, we're watching watch tonight. tonight man that boot slap i'm all in <laughs> i'll watch it too bye buddy bye This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly, and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And we are back. Thank you to Guillermo del Toro for joining the show. And thank you to Netflix for helping us get him on. Um, You can check out Pinocchio right now on Netflix. And we are going to be reviewing that film later. But in the meantime, before we get to this week in movies, Jake, your thoughts on that incredible interview? Yeah, I mean, I just want to, I mean, and it's funny, you mentioned this earlier, but we often talk about, for me, like the, 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 threshold for an interview that I consider to be great is almost when I forget that the person is who they are. And it almost just feels like they're a new member of the real blend gang. And we're just geeking out about film. And we just had 
another interview who we won't name, but Kevin knows who I'm talking about, where it felt like this person who is one of the biggest names on the planet was just another real blend dude. Um, and I feel like that's whenever it crosses that threshold. Yeah. But when I feel like whenever it crosses that threshold and I think Del Toro definitely did, that's what I'm like. That's a great interview. It's not a great interview with a director. It's a great interview with a movie fan. And you are often reminded, I think on this show a lot that the best filmmakers and actors and writers of all time are at their deepest core movie fans. Yeah. And I think, I think the best part, the best interviews we have are when we bring that side out of them. And I think we did with Del Toro. Yeah. He was incredible. And one of the things that I, so I, I, I watch Pacific Rim pretty often because I just think it looks incredible at home. It's one of those like really good transfers in 4k. It's a one seven, eight aspect ratio. So it fills your whole screen. Um, and Honestly, like just to geek out with him about the boat slap, which I think is one of the coolest scenes in 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 any action movie. Um, and just what I loved about it was how much of a fan of his own movie he is. Um, and I and just for the record, I did watch it that night as I, as I promised him. I think we all I mean, and even Del Toro at the end of the interview says he was going to watch. it. I don't know if he did, um, but I, I would imagine maybe he at least put it on just so we, we can play with it. But. Um, you know, and just like do kind of play around with like watching some of the sequences. But I I thought he was just such a wonderful interview. I've, I've had the chance to talk to him before. I sat down with him, I think, for the first time with Shape of Water. Uh, no, no, it was Pacific you know, didn't Rim. You, do Pacific, of, you did the Pacific Rim junket. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was Pacific Rim. But Shape of Water was one of my favorite mem- interviews with him because we just nerded out about dry for wet and kind of the old school filming techniques. That's why I liked the Pinocchio interview, because we talked a lot about the idea of stop motion, how much time it takes to do. I mean, just the, the when he was describing the camera movement for a movement of a character. I mean, people I mean, this is 24 individual photographs uh, per second. And it's really just astounding how him and like Henry Selleck, all these all these amazing filmmakers have been able to play with the medium um, and just that stop motion animation. So having him on was a big deal. And like, honestly, like it led into a very interesting connection because we all just went to London for Avatar and to get him right before James Cameron. And he was the first person to tweet out, you know, a review or thoughts on Avatar. Uh, He said he jokingly got in trouble. I don't think he actually did, but I think he was like, he was, he was saying he couldn't talk about it, but Kevin, didn't Sean say that in his TV interview with Cameron, like he brings up our conversation with Del Toro. So be sure to, by the time this airs, all of our uh, uh, Avatar interviews will be up somewhere online. Uh, seek out Sean's because he he will uh, discuss our Del Toro interview with Cameron. And he and he and Cameron have a great conversation about uh, the great Guillermo Del Toro. Yeah. So thank you to Del Toro for being on. That was a it was a pleasure. It was, it was a big have. one. If, if you, and, and, what a and name honestly, to add to the list. Yeah. Incredible. Go back and listen to any of our earlier interviews as well. But like it was just he just like Jake said, fit right into our show. He was, and he's just a film nerd. We are going to keep it moving with this week's show. And we're going to head right into this week in movies because there's a handful of things um, coming out that we want to touch on. First, we'll get a uh, quick reactions from Kevin on spoiler alert um, starring, I would say, both your two of your both of your favorite Jim Parsons. <laughs> we love I we love Jim Parsons. I mean, 
Jake, Jake got me into Big Bang Theory. Yeah, this yeah. is a great story about a relationship uh, between Michael and Kit, uh, the characters that are played by Jim Parsons. And I want to make sure I get the gentleman's name right. I think it's Ben Aldridge. I, I want to make sure. Yeah, I, have I believe that right. that's right. Yeah. I believe that's right. Um, yeah. who, who, who's check. wonderful in the film. Um, I saw this about three or four weeks ago, and apologies, I'm just a little jet lagged. But but it's about a relationship between the two, and, and uh, the character that Aldridge plays is diagnosed with terminal cancer. Um, and essentially, it's a you know, it's about their love story and kind of the ups and downs of the relationship. But it's also just like a really, really well-made movie about. It's based on the guy that wrote it's the actual Mm -hmm. guy, right? The real guy, Michael. Yep. And so I think I'm telling you, and one of the things I love about the film and and the person it's based off of is the character that uh, Jim Parsons plays. And so like it's obviously based on a relationship that he had. So I, I was really, really like just emotionally gripped by this film. I, I was, I, I remember sitting in the theater. I didn't know much about the story. I didn't watch the trailer for it. Um, so I didn't know much going in. And I thought Jim Parsons really, he leads the film beautifully. And at the end of the day, as I was watching, like Sally Field's really great in the film, just great performances, great story. Has There's a lot of Christmas aspects to it as well. So it, it, there was a holiday theme in, in terms of like what the story was dealing with. But one of the things I loved about the film was as tragic as the story becomes, considering they're dealing with a character who has terminal cancer, there's just a beautiful idea of staying present and enjoying the time you have with a person. Um, and I, I just found their con- chemistry and their connection to be really wonderful. Parsons is a really, really talented actor. And so is Aldridge. Like they have really, really good chemistry in the film. Um, and I don't know, for me, I, I was just it was one of those movies I walked into. I was going to do press for it, but something happened with the schedule. And I sat down. I didn't know much about it. The the the, the uh, title intrigued me. I was like, and that's an interesting title. Um, and then I sat down and I was like, I was just taken into the world. I loved the relationship. I loved the performances. I think there's a lot of beautiful messages in this movie. Um, and I, you, I, I you really know enjoyed why it's it. Called that the, are you, the are book, the full, the asking, full title of the yeah, book, right? Yeah, the full. T- but the, I don't want to say like what the rest of the title of the book is because I don't want because it kind of gives. Well, what is the rest no of the title? No pun intended. Of the book. Well, okay, you, okay, well, I would say I'll say it so that people can. Oh, yell I see it. A spoiler alert, I guess, but it's the title of the book, and it's kind of the whole point of that. But, but the full but title of the book is yeah. Spoiler alert: the hero dies, which is why it's yeah. called spoiler alert. Right, and I, and yeah. and just to, to give clarification, the movie opens. Essentially uh, we don't need to. Ta- we don't need to get into spoiler, the, but like that that, that is <laughs> the called, actual. It's called the spoiler irony, alert. The irony, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's called <laughs> the spoiler. Irony, yeah, but but it is it is about that terminal aspect of the relationship and kind of what's going on. Yes. I mean, it, it, it's, it's a really, it's a really, really, I, I haven't really seen it beautiful from, love story from what I've seen of the trailer. And then I got to cut some of the interviews and see them talk about it to discuss the title. I think that's actually kind of ingenious because it allows it you to, on your first viewing, view it knowing that that's going to happen. And then mm-hmm. you can, then you can sort of appreciate the story right from that perspective especially yeah. since it's it's the it's the same guy that experienced it and he's like you know he's telling the story and reflecting on that like again having not seen it yet to me right. it, it's kind of an ingenious thing to allow the audience to be like hey this is real and this happened and this is what happens now yeah. see our story unfold so it kind of it all rings true in the moment and because without that to- i feel like you would need it to it would have to like nail some sort of romantic story and you'd be like well why does this story exist you know it would just right. sort of feel cliche maybe it, but it, it works it works in reverse basically yeah because like you essentially like you become attached because you know what's going on and also one of the things i will say about the film uh if you're if you see it this weekend or you see it in theaters or wherever you see it stay through the credits 
um, they, there's some really uh, a really beautiful uh, piece of footage that they have in the in the credits that's real um, from a, and it's it's one of my favorite moments in the movie and I was surprised that they actually had real footage of that moment in real life yeah. so I, I was in tears at the end and I thought Parsons and Aldridge were fantastic great. I thought they were really great and as you mentioned uh, Parsons plays the character Michael who wrote the book yeah. um, so it's it's really special I really enjoyed it. We will, we will keep it moving with um, a film that I think is going to continue to come up um, through our awards coverage. Jake is the only one who has seen this so far, so he'll give his, his reactions, but I'm sure that you'll hear Kevin and Sean discuss it at length um, through the awards season, and that is Empire of Light. Um, I, unfortunately, I'm going to I'm going to disagree with you in that I don't think it's going to be coming no. up uh, during award season because unfortunately, Sam movie is, about movies. I know. Unfortunately, Shot though, digitally? It, it is a um, <laughs> it's it's kind of a, a cinematic waste of everyone's talents. Uh, it, I mean, it is an incredible collection of people. We're talking Sam Mendes uh, shot by Roger Deakins starring uh, uh, um uh, uh, Olivia, Coleman. Uh, uh, Olivia Coleman and Colin Firth. I mean, collection yeah. Oscar winner after Oscar winner after Oscar winner after Oscar winner all collected. Yeah. It's yeah, it's it's um, it's it's also written by Sam Mendes and it's it's sort of. I guess even semi autobiographical is a little bit of a stretch, but um, Mendes has talked a lot about how his uh, mother dealt a lot with um, mental health issues and mm. and so uh, Olivia Coleman kind of represents those aspects of his mother. Apparently, she never worked in a movie theater like she does in the film. And, you know, what's funny is that, too, is but but so it's funny. So many directors right now are are doing this autobiographical thing, and it seems like men, this is as close to as much we're going to see as men, Mendez doing it. But as much as you have all of these A-list people, they're not firing on A-list cylinders like the the script for Mendez is incredibly weak. Um, the performances are fine, but nothing to write home about in terms of like what we know that all of these actors are capable of. The direction is is, you know, it's fine. And, and he, but here's the thing that really shocked me the most. Even Deacon's cinematography is like just OK. Like yeah. I, I like there were multiple like like Roger Deacon's shooting a movie theater should be like, here's your Oscar. Like, here you go. And like, honestly, I don't even think it's really worthy of a nomination. I think maybe he'll wow. get it because he's Roger Deacons. But like, I I don't think there's anything particularly Oscar worthy at all about this film. Um, It's a it's a what bit of a you, bore. What's your star rating for it? Not that that totally matters. But. Two, two and a half. Wow. Yeah, it's I, it's it is far and away my least favorite Sam Mendes film. It's honestly I, I here's all I'll say. I think it's the only Sam Mendes film I don't like. Yeah, that's why it's so surprising. Yeah, because I would even say even even something like Spectre, like Spectre has its its pitfalls and its flaws. But like Like there's some great. Yeah. And the the opening, the opening sequence in Mexico City, like there is some incredible stuff. And even like Away We Go, like a smaller film he did with John Krasinski. I really loved that. And Revolutionary Road has some performances. Was that Maya Rudolph? Yeah, Maya Rudolph and John Krasinski. That's a great movie. That's a great movie. movie. So so thinking about like all like all San Mendes movies, I was thinking about like this is the only one I can genuinely say I don't like, which is a bummer. Well, that yeah, that is disappointing. That That is is disappointing. So I I could be wrong, but I don't think it's going to be much of a of an Oscar contender. Well. If, you, if folks, if you go and see it, let us know your thoughts. You both have seen um, Emancipation, correct? Yeah. 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 Uh, who wants to start us? Kev? Kev yeah, ahead. I mean, so, uh, I mean, first of all, Antoine Fuqua, I mean, 
I, I, I still continue to believe he's an underrated filmmaker. Like, like, mm-hmm. like he's a, such a great director. Not that he's underrated. People know how good he is. I just, I just wish he was talked about more in conversations about the great directors. Because um, he Even is his, his box office success is kind of slept on. Like, yeah, like the, the, all the half fallen films have done incredibly well. And no one talks about how yeah. successful those movies are. I mean, Training Day, one of my favorite movies he ever made was The Shooter with, um, Dude. Was it, was it with Mark Wahlberg. Wahlberg. Wahlberg? That, that movie oh. is awesome. So, so good. Uh, and then I love Olympus Has Fallen. And obviously Training Day is, is a big deal. The Equalizer. Um, this is uh, this is an Apple film. So it's in limited theaters right as we're talking, but also will be on streaming as you are hearing this episode on Apple TV Plus. Um, it's based on a true story. Uh, Will Smith plays Peter. The character is a runaway slave in the film uh, who's forging through the swamps of Louisiana. Uh, and it's just an incredible true story uh, about a very, very um, uh, there's a photo, a very, a very uh, fo- a big photo that's part of history. That is that this film is actually based on that individual in the photo, Peter. Um, and I was, first of all, Robert Richardson, I have to bring him up first because the cinematography in this film is absolutely astounding. Like they play with different aspects of black and white and color and it's just really interesting tonally. There's a there's an immersive aspect to it. It kind of keeps you on your toes. Um, Will Smith's performance, I would argue, I, I liked that it was it was kind of subdued in a way like, like the character is very internal um, because the relentless journey that he's that the character's going on. It's very physical, but with like not a ton of dialogue, even though there is dialogue, of course. But I thought that Will Smith did a phenomenal job kind of capturing what an internal uh, uh, an internal moment like that would be, you know, dealing with what he was dealing with. And I, I just found the marriage of cinematography, score, performances. I thought Ben Foster was terrifying. Um, I thought that, you know, I, I just, for me, it's a film about, as Will Smith says, about freedom, about like, about this guy's relentless journey and what he was able to do and kind of how it turned the tide in certain aspects and, and, and that there's a photo of him that is very, very it's, it's part of history that this movie really kind of encompasses around that particular photo. And it's the story of how we got to that moment, how we got to that particular photograph. And yeah, I just found Will Smith to be outstanding in this. And obviously, you know, with with everything going on in the world and everything, this is a film that you, you might go, oh, this sounds like a film that might be hard to watch. It is hard to watch, but it's also really, really interesting because it's a piece of history that I knew about, but I didn't know the full scope of it. And I just was blown away by like by, by the way it looked, by the way it was shot, scored, performed. Um, I think there are a few moments that Jake and I have talked about off off mic that we thought were a little over the top at times. And I, I, won't, I won't go into what scenes they are, but there was just this one particular scene that Jake and I were like, do you think that really happened? Now it might've, we never know. Um, but it is, it is a really interesting film. And a lot of people have been asking me, is it really hard to watch? It is. But at the end of the day, I also found it inspiring um, in a very, very uh, interesting way because it's a really beautiful story about a guy getting back to his family. And I say beautiful because at the end of the day, while we're dealing with the horrific aspects of what's going on in the story obviously there is just this like relentless aspect to the character to get home to his family and what he will do and what that means to him and just the love of his children and his wife i mean it it, it is it's powerful for sure jake you know we kind of opened up talking about fuqua um his filmography a bit 
And this does, this seems like a departure for him. It's something that is not that he's, you know, shied away from a serious subject, but he's, you could say he's more action heavy. He's more yeah. popcorn director in a lot of ways. Is this feel like, does this feel like a Fuqua film or does this feel something totally new from him? Um, you know, what's so funny is that I actually feel like um, the film's handful of weaknesses are when Fuqua almost feels the need to tap back into old school Fuqua. Um, there are, you know, this, this is a, a, a heavy film that requires, um, obviously a, a heavy tone and there are moments, I'm just, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. There, there are, uh, moments where it, it felt like Fuqua felt the need to interject like an action beat to keep us entertained. And I almost wanted to just pull him aside and say like, you don't need that. Like, dude, this story on paper is unbelievably heart-wrenching and, and and insane i don't need a cgi fight between will smith and an alligator to stay entertained so whatever well, those record, we, don't, happen, we don't know whether or not that happened or not i mean i i don't and that's sure. the thing i do want to clarify that because i mean once yes. i mean the movie does get to a point where he's able to tell his story and that's how we know his history right. but this particular thing that dick's referring to it we don't stands know for out sure like a sore thumb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just even just a way, like okay. Here's what I'll say: even if it did happen, it doesn't. It's not filmed or or uh, toned in such a way that feels like it belongs in the rest of the film. Sure. That being oh, said, it, it does stick out. Yeah. Yes. Um, that being said, I do think this features some of the the strongest direction of Fuqua's career, and yeah. I also oh. think uh, I also think that it features one of the best performances of Will Smith's career. I agree. with and, you. And um, we we have never really been. The kind of podcast that that talked much about what happened earlier this year. And I kind of want to keep that tradition going other than to say that um, I think the film should be watched and judged for his work and for the work of like he said, like he's been saying lately in all of our interviews, like he like all the work of the people involved in the credits, because there is some some top tier A list work here done by a lot of people. And it has yielded a truly incredible film. And it feels so weird to like. I, I always feel this way when it comes to to films, like in, in particularly involving slavery, coming out being like, that's so great. I loved it. It's that's not like but it's incredibly well done. It's sure, an yeah. important film. I might not ever watch it again, but I'm glad that I know this story now. I'm glad Same. more people know this story now. Um, and, and you know, that's that's the you know, Kevin often talks about. That's a way that people live forever. And if this man is able to achieve uh, a, a, a higher degree of immortality because of of the work that all these people have done to the to the level and the degree that they've done it. Then I'd say I'm I'm glad this film exists and I'm glad it was made and I'm glad I'm glad you know I'm 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 better for having known this story because I didn't know it. I, I honestly I had no idea what the, I didn't I didn't know the story. Well, well, by the time folks are listening to this, it will most likely be out of theaters, but it will be available on Apple TV Plus. Uh, but that leaves us with our guest of the week. His film, which is headed to Netflix, and that's Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Kev, keep it rolling. What did you think of uh, Guillermo's version of Pinocchio? Yeah, I mean, again, kind of going back to the interview, like one of the things I find interesting about this film, really, I, I was just as I was watching it, just picking apart in my mind because emotion. One of the things that a movie can do that I love is if you find the perfect marriage of technical and emotional you get pulled in both ways while you're watching it. Um, and as, a, as an audience member, filmmakers generally don't want you to think about the process of a movie. They want you to be so immersed in it that you're not thinking about it. But for me, right. 
I always find that perfect Zen like moment where I'm going back and forth and thinking about, oh, wow, that's it must. How hard was that shot? Oh, wait, but but I but I care so much about the story and the performances. So um, I to me, this is like one of those films that at the end of the day, if you're a film fan and you love the technical aspects of filmmaking, this is that movie that you're going to watch and you're going to think to yourself, oh, that's really cool how they did it. But then you're going to get sucked into the story. Um, and there's been a zillion Pinocchio film or stories and over the years. But this one. The way Del Toro tells it, uh, and he is a co-director on this one as well. I want to want to make sure I, we mentioned well, how many how many units did he mention as well? We're filming it. It was some it was like a, I forget if it was 20 number. or if it was 40. Like it was yeah. something crazy of, of how many people yeah. they had to have. Working All on setups. it at once. Yeah, Jake, I mean, you it, it makes it. sense. You can't do that one thing at a time. They would spend... Yeah, yeah I mean, I think that for me, I, I kind of pressed play on it thinking, okay, like, how many different Pinocchios have we seen? How many different versions of this story? Like, what do you... What are you other than this being stop-motion animation and maybe being told with the Del Toro flair, what are you going to give me that I haven't right. seen before? And good God, within hmm. 15 minutes, I went, oh, that... Okay, I mean, like the 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 depth, the heart, the soul that that Del Toro pumped into this and film. Slot score, by the way, I gotta yes. mention that. Oh it's my just, god! I mean, the the way he uses a story that I am incredibly familiar with to make me think about things that that story has never made me think about: immortality, our our legacy uh, on this earth, what we leave behind. You know what? You know how uh, people influence us that leave us. You know how we're all just amalgamations of 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 the people who who end up leaving us. It's just how he does that. How he taps into in a weird way. It almost like makes me look at all the other filmmakers who have made Pinocchio stories, and I want to go. How did you guys not see all of this stuff? How did you not <laughs> see the potential that the story had to dive into these things? Like for me, I I almost just want to be like, okay, like no more Pinocchio. Like this, this is it. This is the like I, like with all due respect to Disney, to me, this is the definitive Pinocchio story because it just takes the story and says, okay, yes, I know you, I know you know this tale. But this tale should be telling you about this, about life, about this, about death, about this, about legacy, about this, about immortality. And by the end of the film, I just went, holy hell, like like the 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 emotional ringer that I was pit, put through for the first time, despite having seen this story countless times before. I just made me want to stand up and applaud Del Toro because it's just like clearly you saw something you saw potential there. Um, and, you know, there's so often there's so many stories that. I'm honestly, quite frankly, sick of them telling. I'm tired of Robin Hood stories. I'm tired of Three Musketeer stories. But then again, it makes me sort of pause and go, but maybe if the right director came along and found something within those stories. So it's almost making me more forgiving of these stories that we're seeing over and over again and thinking like, okay, maybe we do keep asking for more until the right filmmaker finds them because this is the case of the right filmmaker finding the right story and and getting the most out of it. And I do want to just get quickly shout out, and I, I, I hope I'm getting his name right. It's Mark Gustafson, who plays, or who's the co-director of the film. So it's actually Del Toro and him. They both co-directed the film. Mark uh, works and has worked in animation over the years, head of animation for certain uh, uh, projects as well. He's worked as a director as well. He's also worked as a writer. So um, it is a fascinating thing because generally, I'm, and I could be wrong. We've seen Del Toro generally work on his own in terms of uh, as a director. Um, but, you know, shout out to Mark as well, who obviously worked with him on this and uh, made and co-directed it. So um, I just wanted to 
get his name out there because it, it, he is a co-director in the film. So, uh, folks have have at least seen the trailer and such, and so there's there's a bit you can glean from that. But I always with stop motion, I always feel like uh, more so than animation, we get like unique styles, like we get we get like unique look to uh, the world and the characters and the way that they design um, the specific models. How did that how did that work for you guys? Is it something that like is super striking and you're like, OK, I want to see I want to see them tell stories like in exactly this world or uh, did it feel too specific to Pinocchio? Well, honestly, the thing I mean, this is, doesn't exactly answer your question, but sure. but one of the things I always talk about, the reason I love um, Nightmare for Christmas is kind of how like dirty and imperfect it looks like mm-hmm. I almost feel like you can see the 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 handprints or the fingerprints of like the, the the people who who made them like once once tim burton took over particularly like with corpse bride and um it, it's they almost started looking too clean for me like it, it, it just looked a little it almost like i'm like you're it's almost like you're one step away from just being like like cgi like you know it, 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 right, it was just right. it was too it was too perfect i need a little bit of like I, I need I want to feel the texture. I want to feel like I know what these models feel like. And, and 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 in that way, I'm even more immersed in the magic of seeing them do the things they're doing. And I feel like this style, like Del Toro's style with, with this particular film goes back to that kind of Henry Selleck Nightmare Before Christmas. Like I, I felt like I knew what Pinocchio sort of felt like. I felt like I could see the texture in Geppetto's beard. And that's, I, that, that's really for me, what won me over in the, in the, in the physical style of it. Yeah. And, and it's interesting. I remember years ago, my mom took me to MoMA in New York city for like a Tim Burton exhibit. And I, I, I came, it gave me a deep appreciation for stop motion because they had this case with all of Jack Skellington's heads for all his different facial expressions. And they would like change it out for every time he would smile. But like, and so you think about all the different physical puppets that are there on screen. And one of the cool things about this type of movie is that he can blend CG with, with it. He can use CG. And one of the things that I thought Del Toro was, Blending is a cool. huge thing that we're a proponents of on this right, show. Right, it's right, right. It's true. But even something like Rain hitting a character and how he said that some of it was CG, but then if you wanted to roll down the character, like it, 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 it's funny. Like I mentioned when we were talking about the film just now in, in terms of reactions, there's that part of your brain that can go back and forth between the technical and the emotional. Um, I, I wouldn't mind just sitting down and watching the film just from a purely, a purely technical perspective. Yeah. Just, just, just to watch the images without like, and then take my mind out of the story for a second, because basically what the, when a film is so good that you can like that, that it goes back and forth like that. That's why I think filmmakers to me, when they hit that, like Terminator two, for example, I know it's a random film to bring up, but that's a film that I think technically and emotionally is brilliant, but I can appreciate both at the same time without being taken out of the story. And I think that's to me, the sign of a great filmmaker. That's what Del Toro has always been able to do. Look, I mean, look at the practical nature of his effects from Penn's Labyrinth, even stop motion aside, he he's a practical filmmaker. He always yeah. really has been. I mean, down to Shape of Water, where he was doing dry for wet for those sequences. Like, I mean, it's pretty amazing. Um, so I'm just we're just lucky to have a filmmaker like that working in this time because he appreciates the tangible, the in camera aspect of it, and the and the imperfect aspect of things. So yeah. I'm a big fan. I cannot wait to catch up on that one. But in the meantime, we are going to take a break. Uh, and on the other side, we're going to play our blend game. And you go to hear from Sean again, because Sean is going to send in his uh, his blend game pick. Um, so we'll be right back on the other side. 
and we are back again. We got to get Richard Cheese involved with the show. I need to <laughs> think about that every time. Every time I think of it, every time. Yes, we do. Uh, the blend game this week is uh, Ewan McGregor. Jake, Bec- I'll let you take Bec- it because he plays. Uh, for people looking for the connection, it's because he plays. Oh, yes. Jiminy, Jiminy Cricket and Pinocchio. Plays cricket. And he's well, great. How, how is he? How is his cricket? Yeah, oh, it's fantastic. Great. He's, he's really great. great. He, yeah. he yields one of the best laughs of the entire movie, and it's not really like a big like like chuckle kind of movie, but one of the hardest I laughed out loud in the film is is a result of, of him. Yeah. So what's um, your what's your favorite performance from Ewan? Mine is in Big Fish because he. Mm. Um, Oh, nice. One, I think that's Tim Burton's best film. Uh, uh, But also, he has a really interesting position in that um, we have to watch his performance. For people who are unfamiliar with Big Fish, um, it tells a story of of an elderly father who is um, basically dying. and, And his son comes to his deathbed, and his son and the father have a very difficult relationship because the son grew up hearing his father tell these tall tales and like these wild stories and at a certain point in his life realized like dude you're kind of full of shit and now I don't now you're dying and I don't feel like I know even know who you are because you've been telling me these crazy fantastical tales your whole life and I have no idea what the truth is so he basically goes to his father's deathbed and as he's dying saying like please I'm begging you tell me the truth of who you are so you don't die without me knowing who my father is in the later years, the father's played by Albert Finney, but in flashbacks, the father's played by Ewan McGregor. And Ewan McGregor plays the the role as in these sort of fantastical tales that Albert Finney is telling. And so you're getting this version of, of this man who, as a viewer, you don't really know because the stories are so wild and crazy and Tim Burton-esque, you don't really know how to how to feel about them and you don't really know how to feel about this man because you there is a part of you that goes like okay dude you're like you're clearly full of shit like this did not happen but but then again like everyone else around him in his circle does you kind of fall for the bit like like you mcgregor is so unbelievably charming in this film and in this role that you get how everyone else fell for these big tall tales because you're falling for these big tall tales and you kind of want them to be true as well. So Ewan McGregor sort of has to walk a really tight rope of playing someone who might be a complete and total fallacy, but still has to win us over, even though we know that we're watching a story that probably never happened in the first place. He does an incredible job. Uh, he, he brings a sense of heart and realism to to sequences that are unbelievable um and i that movie the final act without giving anything away tears my heart out every time i see it i mean if if you were to put on the last 15 minutes of that movie right now even without having even without the build-up i would start crying like that's that's what that movie does for me um and it's just you know it's, it's just a beautiful beautiful film and the most underrated tim burton film by a mile i think that's a wonderful pick kevin do you agree or are you where'd you go I, lo- I love that film. I mean, I'm going to go uh, I'm going to go a little more recent. I mean, Moulin Rouge was the one I was kind of like jumping around in my mind with a little bit only because he's just phenomenal in that movie. But I got to go to Dr. Sleep, to be honest with oh, you. Oh, great pick. Um, great pick. And, and I think it's Dr. Sleep primarily because of the task of what that film was was met, had to do, which was follow up The Shining, uh, tell a story from that, you know, that child's perspective later in life capture the emotion of what that kid may have went through in the years between the two stories and somehow 
can like like nail that entire third act like I don't understand like for me for, first of all as an actor to have an undertaking of a moment where you're talking to somebody playing Nicholson's character which is obviously Henry from uh from uh, E.T. and uh, uh House on Haunting of Hill House um but I I just found his performance in that film the struggle of the character what he was dealing with the way he interacted with everything in that in, in, in that incredible shining aspect I mean it was to me it was a beautiful performance it's a really internal performance but also um this th- those scenes when he would go visit people at their on their deathbeds essentially and I just love the way that he would play those sequences. I, I just think it's a really interesting performance from him. And I think while as famous as Ewan McGregor is, when I watched Dr. Sleep, I just, in my head, he's just the kid from Shining all growing up and just living his life in the modern world and, and how the trauma, that movie is really a, really about trauma. I mean, I find it to be in kind of like what, what he's dealing with, what he's going through, um, the consequences of the story of the events of The Shining. And to really carry that legacy forward of one of the, I mean, arguably the greatest, in my opinion, great, one of the greatest horror movies of all time. And then for Flanagan to really take that baton and continue it in a beautiful way, uh, anchored by a phenomenal performance from Ewan McGregor. I mean, that cast is extraordinary. Obviously Rebecca Ferguson, everybody's involved in that, in that movie is really great, but you know, McGregor is the, the, the heart of the movie. He really, he is the centerpiece of that film. It's, 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 you know, you go back and watch The Shining now. That's why I think his performance is so great. When I watch The Shining now, I already have an indication maybe where this kid's going in life because sure. of the way Ewan plays him. And that's kind of, it's kind of made The Shining more special to have a visualization, but also an emotional uh, aspect to what happens later on in life because of this, the events of The Shining. So I think McGregor just walking through the hotel uh, is it, it? It's just iconic, and he carries himself beautifully. Um, and I don't know. For me, it's like you know, I, I love him as an actor. Train, train spotting was another one that I was kind of toiling around with because uh, I think the uh, the the toilet scene is one of my favorite shots ever <laughs> in movies. Um, Danny Boyle, but uh, I just think from an emotional perspective, I think McGregor. It's like it's such. It is an interestingly subdued performance, but it's not. It's so heavy and so weighted in in history and um and emotion and trauma so i just think flanagan and him hit a beat that i thought was kind of impossible to find i don't know how they did it i mean i know how they did it. it's based off of what king wrote but it's it is an interesting but it's all, a thing lot of it's to, not based on what king wrote right it's different from the, the book but but it is the dr sleep book mm-hmm. that it, it, that he adapted but it's still a very fascinating thing that movie was when i was like how do you follow up the shining and you sit down and you just watch this like masterpiece unfold. Sure. And it's a lot of it. Obviously, Flanagan get, you know, deserves a ton of credit for but McGregor is the anchor. He's the he's the we are him. We are we are walking through this story with him. And I think that he just kind of he kind of has this face and this and this and this emotion to him that goes, come on in. Let me let me take you for this this ride. And just the great pick the shots of him in the. In, in that, in that, that what was that he's living in. He's like living in like an attic. Is that what it yeah. was? It was yeah, like he's like, he's like above a library or oh, something like that. I forget just where he's all at, those scenes. Yeah. He's he's fantastic in that film. I think I just think it's a really great movie, great performance. That is a great pick. Um, I do also love that movie, and I think oh. his performance is special. It's a very special movie to me for many reasons. But there are very few things, if anything, that uh, when we talk about favorite, we talk about things that are you know 
mean a lot to us personally for whatever reason. Um, there are few things on this planet and in movies that will meet the anticipation and sort of the um, the memories I have around episode one of Phantom Menace. It's a great pick. I think I've discussed this before, and I'm not alone in this. That is it one means of a lot the to you. Yeah. well, it's one of the it's one of the first things that me and my dad ever bonded over. It's something we still bond over to mm. this point. Like it's, um, you know, like when when the sequel trilogy was coming out, it was like really important for us to get to go, you know, go opening night and stuff. And we don't we don't really do that with anything but Star Wars. Uh, and so as a kid, I remember when that was coming out and I didn't know anything. He made a point of like buying the um, we had the the original trilogy on VHS and we wore those out. And he would, I remember him being so excited and him being so, you know, you're a little kid and your dad's excited about something and all those memories that are just like burned into my mind. Um, it's hard for me to pick anything other than Obi-Wan to the point where, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi, the series was middling, but seeing you in, in that role was, yeah. was, was exciting. Was it, it kept me coming back and, and he's he always it. great. And he's, he's usually so like, good. I, I stand by like, he's the best part of the prequel trilogy. Yeah. Like, like he, he and John Williams scores and his like through all of it, when he's supposed to be light and fun, he's great when he, um, you know, when he's fighting Anakin and, and and his, his heart's breaking, like you were the chosen one, you see it. And it's, it's, you know, to this point you've, we've seen so much of it and it's a, such a quotable, they're all such quotable things that they maybe lose their weight. But when you watch it, you're like, he's, he's not phoning this in. I mean, he's maybe standing around a bunch of green screens um, with a stick in his hand, but he, he yeah, he's really feeling it, and uh, he's an incredible performer. I love his Danny Boyle, his work with Danny Boyle, um, is always great. I, I love him in Doctor Sleep, but for me, it's hard for me to to not pick when I'm talking favorite Obi Wan because it's just such a three different picks. Special, Look at us, three wildly different picks. Yeah, as far as what Sean picked, I don't know yet. Yeah. Um, I'm Sean curious. is not I am curious as to what I, I do wonder what Sean. So picked. we'll find I'm... out together with the audience here. Uh, when we throw it to Sean. With this pick. Hey guys, it's Sean, and as you can tell, I am not in this week's episode. I stayed in London in order to attend the world premiere of James Cameron's Avatar The Way of Water. Thank you guys uh, for holding down the fort and for running a really good show. But I wanted to make sure that I got in my pick for Ewan McGregor Blend, and I had to go with uh, his performance in Tim Burton's Big Fish. Now, I've been uh, open about Big Fish, uh, about how emotional it is to me, because Albert Finney's character is essentially playing a a hyper stylized version of my own father, who was a storyteller uh, and loved to embellish as the Irish have a a tendency to and loved being the center of attention. Um, It was never happier than when a, a room was gathered around him and listening to him tell his stories. And so McGregor has this really difficult um, assignment that he has to do throughout Big Fish, which is be the embodiment of this uh, younger version of Albert Finney, this character who's wandering through these imaginary tales that uh, the son, played by Billy Crudup, rolls his eyes out and doesn't think are completely accurate. And so uh, Ewan has to sort of ground that and make us believe that the the stories that Albert Finney is telling could have some realism to them. And of course, there's the terrific payoff we get to the point where um, all of the characters from Albert Finney's stories show up uh, at his bedside when he is passing away. And you realize that while they don't fit the narrative 100 uh, percent, the stuff that we watched you and McGregor go through actually happened and actually happened through a filter 
that is very similar to Albert Finney and sold perfectly by McGregor in his part. Um, I could have gone with Moulin Rouge, of course, terrific choice. Uh, I also could have gone with The Impossible, although I think uh, that movie, which is phenomenal, one of my favorite movies, um, is more of a uh, Naomi Watts and Tom Holland story. And McGregor gets decent stuff to do, but it's it's their movie. Um, so for that reason, I went with Big Fish. And I think if you haven't seen it yet, it's one of Tim Burton's best it has the least Tim Burton-esque stuff going on in it and really relies on the uh, charm and personality of its cast, led, of course, by Ewan McGregor. And so I'm going with that for my pick. Uh, I'm anxious to hear what you guys think. I'm anxious to hear what Jake and Kevin choose as well, too. And I'll be back on the show full time uh, for another show next week. How about Del Toro this week? Huh? Come on. He was fantastic. Uh, miss you guys. Love you guys. Talk to you guys soon. All right, we are back. Thank you, Sean. Hopefully you didn't embarrass us with a terrible pick, uh, but you never know. You never know. At this point, we have no idea. We have no idea. We have no idea. Yeah. He, he, like, he like spent five minutes just making fun of us, and we're just sitting here going, yeah. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah great yeah. work, great work. Yeah. Uh, thank you all for playing at home, um, as always. For next week, we haven't had the opportunity to, to play this name before because he has not released a film in well over a decade. No, no. And that is... James Cameron blend. Oh, yeah. okay. Can we, do we take T2 out? <laughs> what I will say is if, if, if you feel like your answer is obvious, bring two. Sure. Yes. This is okay. my answer. We discussed T2. So yes, bring it, bring your second, but we're going to, okay. we're celebrating James Cameron next week in the blend game. So send what if in. we did James Cameron, like scene, like one scene from a James or, or I want to, I want to do, I want to do James Cameron blend. Cause with the okay. we're, we're audience participation here, I want you folks to, to send in your favorite James Cameron film and tell us why, you know, we love the personal mm-hmm. stories. And then we'll, when we get to it next week, we'll, we'll just kind of have fun talking about James Cameron. Are we going to do sure. a, um, a James Cameron uh, tier list? It's a very doable tier list. Yeah. That'd be a good one to do actually. So what like is it? It's only like what? Seven or eight films. Like it's a very doable. It's doable. Yeah. It's doable. Doable. We'll see right now. Gabe's going. Shut the hell up, Jake. Well, well, we're one host down this week, so you know I can't. I can never commit to That's anything. <laughs> I can never commit to anything. Uh, hmm. But anyway, yes, uh, you can write in uh, realblend at cinemablend.com via email or tweet at us using hashtag James Cameron Blend. Our next premium episode uh, it drops on Monday, so again, check the description for how to sign up if you uh, have not done that yet. Again, no promises because because Sean is still in London and I don't want to I don't want to make too many promises. But the plan is for us to discuss this London trip um, behind the scenes. Yes. Goodness on the next premium episode. We will at some point um, if Sean is for some reason not available. But that is the plan. So sign up for all of that. In the meantime, you can follow us at Jake's Takes at Kevin McCarthy TV at Sean underscore O'Connell. I am at Gabe Kovach. The show is at Real Blend, but until next time, that thing hockey pads and elephant feces. Are we still keeping that secret? Can we say that we got them for the I real mean, ones? I, I didn't know if we were allowed to. I don't know. What? Is oh, it embargoed? Okay. Here, this, here, here's, a, here's a gift for uh, everyone well, who listens. Well, is it embargoed? Is it embargoed? No. We're not worried about embargoes, no. right? No. Oh, Tom Hanks is coming no. back, guys. Well, yeah, we got, Tom Hanks. <laughs> we got Tom Hanks. We got Tom Hanks. Hey, Tom Hanks. Hey.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.